3: In today's episode of the Sixers, Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' disappointing loss to the Indiana Pacers, where that leaves them with three games left in the race for the number one seed. Tobias Harris and Seth Curry continuing to pass up open shots from the perimeter. And what in the heck you do about Mike Scott? Enjoy the podcast. Alright, welcome everybody, this is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman, on the Sixers beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network, doing something we don't do all that often, talking about a loss. The Sixers' 8-game winning streak snapped by the Indiana Pacers, who are fighting for playoff positioning and for a little bit of calm in the storm after a really tough uh, couple of weeks for that franchise. But the Sixers fell 103-94 to to the Pacers uh, on Tuesday night, snapping their win streak. How you doing, Rich?
0: I'm great, man. You know, it's it was funny to hear them talk about that loss. You know, Tobias Harris got asked, I think, a fairly benign question after the game, and he was like, this was a terrible loss for us. This was, we were bad. If we want to go all the way, like, this is not how we should be carrying ourselves. We were complaining too much with the refs. That's probably true. Um, but also something that happens in a lot of games for the Sixers and other NBA teams, and they win, uh. They find a way to win a lot of those. Yeah, it was, uh, they, they're not the best at explaining losses, this team. You know, there's no, like, calm answer of, no. yeah, we, you know what, we, we didn't get the ball into Joel that and, much. And or- look,
3: Doc's, like, sort of, like, default response of, boy, we sucked. Like we didn't execute at all. I was expecting—I forget who it was, but it said, "Like, what do you think of your team's execution?" And he said, "I'm in favor of it." Like this, we're talking back in like the 60s or 70s. This is a quote from. I half expected him to come out and say that. That's sort of the way he goes. He goes a sarcastic sense. Um, but yeah, other than that, and look, they haven't had a whole lot of practice explaining losses. Like this is a uh, no. a rare occurrence of late. No, they've
0: the, the closest thing they've had is to explain one of their eight wins. <laughs> right. That that is like. Boy, not that Spurs a,
3: game was closer than expected. Like that's not yeah. quite
0: the same. Yeah, it's not a perfect performance, and it, and it wasn't. You know, the, I do think there is a uh, a worthy distinction between a you know a bad win and a good win. Like you, you want to continually keep playing at a at a high level. Yeah, they they were bad last night. It was different than some of the bad losses earlier in the season, though. When you know, I'm thinking back to like the Cleveland game earlier in the season when they didn't have NB, I'm thinking back to the Detroit loss, I don't know, that was probably like a couple weeks into the season, when like those games, the Sixers just didn't have it from the jump, and, and you knew, oh, okay, they're gonna get killed tonight, that's that's fine, uh, whether it's a schedule loss or a Joe's not here loss, combination of the two, whatever. Last night, a little bit different, because they played pretty well in the first half, like... Built an eleven-point lead, offense was humming. Very good, Ben Simmons first half, like maybe excellent. Ben Simmons first half.
3: We, I mean, we floor, both made the comment. It looked like he was back on the way to a a, a Utah Jazz like performance.
0: Yep, floor was spread for him. We will. I mean that that is the only benefit it seems like of not having Joel Embiid is that it does seem to give at times, not always, not as much as we would hope for. Ben Simmons a runway to attack the rim like he is uh like he is capable of. And he did that in the uh in the first half. And then in the second half, I don't know what is was it the worst halftime speech, Doc? I should have asked him that after the game. Doc, was that the worst halftime speech you've uh-huh. ever given? Because they scored thirty two points in the second half? Yeah. That's I mean, that's about as bad as you can do. And frankly, the uh the starting lineup was responsible for most of it, like even in that second half when they scored 32 points, some decent bench minutes, the, the all-bench group, like Maxi, another really strong game. Isaiah Joe, I thought, played pretty well. He did some, like, positive winning things, made a couple shots. Dwight was setting some good screens for those guys. George Hill did some okay stuff. The, the starters were just horrendous, all of them, in that, uh, in that second half. And there's a lot of blame that you can, uh, you can kind of spread around from the players, all of them. To uh to the coaching, now does this matter too much in the long run? It certainly doesn't matter. In terms of like, are the Sixers going to get the one seed? Yeah, yeah. they're still going to get the one seed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I guess those uh, you know, we, we were talking about some of those wins were over the past week or so have not been quite as clean as the Sixers would have hoped for, considering. They were healthy. They're playing for something. The other teams just have been banged up. And, uh, this one caught up to them because I, I, I really, you know, th- that's a banged up Pacers team. Even without Embiid, I think that's a game the Sixers probably should win more often than not. Sabonis is very good. They got some shooters. Um, but they just didn't play well. And that's, that's okay. That, uh, that doesn't happen all that much. But, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. A missed opportunity for sure.
3: Yeah. Uh, and I mean, like you said, the Sixers were without um, a lot of talent, obviously, uh, when you have Joel Embiid and I mean Joel Embiid, but then Furkan, Korkmaz, Matisse, Seibel, Shake Milton was a late stra- scratch. Like you mentioned, the Pacers without Brogdon and Turner, though, that's and, and Warren, who's been out for most of the season. Those are pretty big absences as well. This was a certainly a very winnable game, especially when you realize the Sixers were you know, one game away from clinching the top seed in East. Like, this would have been a nice to-have for sure. Not critical that they lost it, but it would have been a nice to-have. And for them to come out and play like they did in the first half, I mean, look, we started coordinating our... They clinched the top seed immediate reaction. Maybe it, maybe it's our fault. Uh, but we started coordinating that because they were just blowing the doors off of the Pacers. You know, they were up. I forget what the high watermark in the first half was, but they had a Pretty big lead there in the first half, and then came out with just the worst offensive half we've seen from them in, it might honestly be all year. 32. Um, That's unbelievable. (laughs) 32. I, I
0: think Ruben Frank had the stat, he looked it up on StatHead, that it was the lowest points per game, I believe, since December, or in a half, for the Sixers, since December 2016.
3: Yeah. Yeah. There's been some bad teams, but eh, not really. Most,
0: mo- mostly good teams, but that's a lot of basketball. Well,
3: I, that I is. was thinking of that second half when Joel missed um, missed most of the second half and Embiid and Simmons were hurt. But yeah, there, there's there been a lot of basketball in between that and there. It was bad. And I thought in the third quarter, it wasn't a train wreck yet. They just they missed some shots. Yep. Like that tends to happen, though. When you miss some shots, it gets in your head. You press a little more. Your defense isn't playing as well. You're playing more in the half court. And when this team is confined to a half court, You know, this team still, for as strong as they've been, and as much as we talk about, like, hey, they're going to be the one seed, they're a really good team, they're a dominant defense, blah, 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 blah. When they're confined to a half court, outside of Joel Embiid, I don't really know what their identity is. I don't really know what you can count on all that much. And Simmons, in the first half, got a lot of looks in transition, got a lot of looks in early offense, uh, before the defense was truly set and matched up. But when the game slowed down, he sort of went back into his shell a little bit. And you didn't get that. Utah performance that you got from Ben Simmons. And it's just like when Seth Curry is passing up open shots Ugh. and Danny green's having an off night and Tobias Harris shot 11 for 24. And like all things considered, he's very far down your list of problems, but like he didn't have an ultra efficient night. I don't a hundred percent know what you rely on when Joel Embiid's out. And that's why you still have through all of the accolades They've gotten, they're still a middle of the pack defense and in the playoffs, a middle of the pack, or I'm sorry, a middle of the pack offense and in the playoffs, a middle of the pack offense. It does scare me a little bit. It does. Yeah,
0: they defended pretty well, you know, th- throughout the game last night, Um, c- especially considering that Embiid wasn't in there. And yeah, I mean, you just rattled off where you can put the blame. I was, I would say I'm probably a, a little, Concerned that Tobias couldn't score on T.J. McConnell, mm-hmm. you know, like they were trying to get him on a couple of possessions late in that game against isolation, kind of isolation hunting mismatch basketball, which he has done pretty well yep. with in the crunch time this season. And you know, for whatever reason, it, it wasn't happening last night. I mean, he he looks like he looked like he was getting similar shots to what he gets. Like it's, he's never going to. Shoot a ton of free throws in that situation. It's always going to be kind of a physical drive or a post up, rise up and shoot over the guy, whether it's a floater or mid range jumper. And they they weren't going in, so that's concerning. He was not quite as good. And yeah, with with Simmons, he shot three free throws in the uh, first six minutes of the game. He uh, and one of those was a, was an N one, obviously, because why would he get fouled shooting a three? Because he never shoots a three. Uh, he. Uh, so he shoots free, three free throws in the first six minutes of the game. You know, I, I don't know. I'm not looking at what he f- finished with, but we're talking about probably like 30 plus minutes the rest of the game. Zero free throws. And yeah. look, that's just not his game. But that that is something we need to point out, like that that it is not his game. Because in that fourth quarter when everybody else is struggling, and I, you know what, I do agree with you. Like if Danny Green makes a couple of those threes in the third quarter, when he was wide open, it, it could be a different game. It, it started out kind of looking like that first half, but I think that's one of the reasons why Embiid is going to be, you know, an All NBA player or MVP level player, is because when the Sixers are struggling, Ben Simmons cannot get them out of their rut with free throws and just getting cheap points. He that that's the one thing like watching Ben, he does not score cheap points. Everything is like super pretty. Yeah, nice dunk. Like, a couple of those
3: turnarounds last night were a little bit cheap, but not with regularity for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, I.
3: And and can we just, I just want to go on record. Ben Simmons has not turned a corner. You're not going to see that jump shot unleashed in the playoffs. It's not something you can count on. It's just one game. Maybe I'm wrong, but right now it's it's a game. We'll see what happens going forward. Let's not make too big of a deal the fact that he hit some late shot clock turnaround jumpers. Please. Please.
0: You just said it too. Late shot clock turner yeah. and jumper. Throughout his career, he has shown not just a willingness, but a like those are the only ones he likes because
3: yeah, you can't there's hold something, it against in, them.
0: There's something yeah. in his head that says this is the toughest shot and it is. Um the toughest shot to take. So if I miss, who cares? No big deal. Honestly, like those shots are terrible. I, I, I don't like them at all. He has to shoot them, like on a couple of occasions. Like I mean, and good for him knocking them down. But yeah, like if you look at his uh, his style points
3: on his uh, on his buckets, they're all really high. Like they're like nice. Oh, that offensive rebound put back, which I I don't think was initially maybe his plan. But I think he realized he came up short quickly and has a quick second jump and it was real pretty. But yeah, yeah.
2: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: Yeah, that, it almost looked like that was the, uh, I guess that's called like a dinner served in an in NBA street or like an off the backboard. Like, I don't know what they exactly called it, but it, it almost looked like he kind of did that off the front rim, which yeah. was I mean that was impressive. Some of those transition dunks were just very forceful, dominant dunks. But he does not get you the cheap points to Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is on one end of the spectrum with cheap points. That guy lives in the cheap points. Like he is, you know, he's like the guy in uh, in Breaking Bad who's like laying on all the money at the end. I, I haven't seen uh, <laughs> that show, but that meme just, Wait, just him whoa, laying. Whoa,
3: you've never seen Breaking Bad?
0: That's it's a good point. Holy uh, so... shit.
3: So I have been I, podcasting with you for how freaking long, and I've never known this.
0: Yeah, I guess we can talk about that for a minute. I so I made it um, probably a season in.
3: All right, and then the first season is a little bit slower. It does pick up a little bit, especially like the first couple episodes can be a little. Well, I mean, then again, they did chop up a guy in a bathtub in the first episode, but it can be a little bit slow moving in terms of dialogue. It picks up pretty considerably. Uh, all, the the just, is- all the TV you watch, you've never got through breaking I um, my mind. Like I don't watch a whole lot of TV anymore, uh, at least as much as I used to. Um, but you, I, um, my mind is blown. My mind is blown.
0: Yeah. It's, it's my one big weak spot. It's, I mean, part of it is people always say you need to watch this and
3: you better call Saul too. like go right into better call Saul. You've got an off season project, off season project.
0: I know. And people say it's just the, the best written show going, uh, Look, I, I agree. I, I I do quit shows a little too easily. Unfortunately. Uh, see, when, when I
3: get started, I like it can be awful, and I go through it. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm committed. I, I, it takes a lot to get me started, but once I get started, I I'm committed to it. Anyway, we're off talk. I don't even remember what we were talking about. No, this was great. This was a great bit. Pe- <laughs> I'm literally like, there's very few things that you say that surprise. I mean, look, we've, I, I talked to you more than most of my family uh, and I've been doing that for a long time. So there's very few things that you say where it's like, that blows my mind. That blew my mind. I thought that show would be right up your alley.
0: I mean, I kind of already know what happens at the end of it. Not that that would take away from my enjoyment, but it's been uh, spoiled. Yeah, no, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff I could watch uh, from that. Anyway. Joel Embiid is <laughs> he's the guy laying on the money with the with the cheap points because that is what he um he can do for the Sixers when they just they don't have it going. And Ben Look, I, I thought for the most part he played a, a pretty good game last night, but at the end, like when the Sixers kind of needed him, that game was calling for him to kind of take the game by the Is that a breath thing, take the game by the neck or something like that? I forget what the, the term is it's that was clumsy how I said it as well. This, is, this has been a clumsy five minutes of podcasting. That's all right. I'm, still, I'm not podcasting. paying
3: attention to a word you said. My mind is still elsewhere. Um, yeah. So in yeah, Alverkerky. he just
0: he didn't take over the uh, the game. That's okay. But like I, I would say that every player in that starting lineup was um, bad. He was bad. Like you mentioned, the Seth Curry passing up threes. What the hell, man? I honestly, he's played pretty well over the past, I don't know, six, seven games, looks like he's moving a little bit better, all that stuff. I'm sorry, he took three threes in the first, like, four minutes of the game. He took one in the last 31 minutes. And, you know, this wasn't like he was getting double teamed, you know, off the uh, the catch or something like that. That dude... He just doesn't
3: like shooting threes. It's, it's crazy. Uh, that <laughs> and that needs to that's the stop. Like when people talk about, oh, well, he is the highest efficiency catch-and-shoot player in the game or in recent years, part of that is selectivity. If you only shoot the wide-open shots or only shoot the shots that you're most comfortable shooting, your percentage is going to go up. That doesn't mean he is not a great shooter. He obviously is, which is why we want him taking more of them. If his catch-and-shoot percentage from three is like 47%, you think, great, he's a 47% three-point shooter. The goal isn't to be as high of a percentage three-point shooter as you can be. The goal is to take as high percentage shots as you will get in that very specific possession. And there are very many times where he passes up a shot which has a higher expected value than any other shot they are going to get for the rest of the possession. That might end up bringing up his three-point percentage. That doesn't help the team. It, It is this When we start talking about You know, um, and that's a little bit too with Tobias. Like people, oh, he's on pace for 50, 40, 90. And oh, that's historic. And it's very rarely ever done. Well, if you actually like start looking at some of the advanced metrics of, you know, offensive win shares or or, or, um, OBPM, like he's not having a historic season. He's just having a a threshold season that we don't see all that often. Part of that is he is passing up efficient shots that might drag down his own individual efficiency, but would help the team. And when you look at it, this is a team that is still... Mid pack offensively, despite the brilliance and dominance of, of Joel Embiid. And despite the fact that they can get out and transition, when they are confined to a half court, it is still clunky, not clunky. Last year was clunky. It is still inconsistent and can be pulling teeth at times to get them to take efficient shots. And it is very, very frustrating. And when you get in the playoffs, the difference between advance or winning a game, maybe advancing in the playoffs, can be did you make use of your, the, opportunities that you had and this team still passes them up way too much for my liking and it's not just like it's it's not I'm desperate to see them shoot a high volume of threes and I think Doc sometimes like interprets those questions as I don't care about that I care about scoring points well I care about scoring points too my whole thing is I think you can score more points if you were a little more trigger happy in uh, taking the not taking contested threes or threes you're not comfortable but the shots that are there this team passes them up way too much they're just
0: not good enough offensively when Embiid is, is in the lineup. And and part of that is Curry has to look around and see like, all right, our scoring options are not as great right now. And like me taking a semi-contested three, not even, I, I would say a, a very lightly contested three. I'm that not asking a,
3: him to be Steph Curry.
0: A good result. He's, you know what? He has had, I think, a very positive impact on this yeah. team just, just because of his gravity and so like look, as much as we um are talking about, you know, he, he wasn't getting double teamed at all times, like teams do pay attention to him from behind the arc. Yep. And I think that is a big part of Embiid's season. Yep. The, the difference between that and whatever Josh Richardson was doing last season. But they, they there needs to be an offseason project of enough with the fifty fifty ninety stuff. Like you could shoot forty three. Forty-two percent on way higher volume. Yep. I think, uh,
3: and add and more value. And that, that's true. That's that,
0: what That's the one area Doc actually pointed out too. Like, yeah, we need him to shoot more. Remember, he got asked about that. This is probably like a month and a half ago at this point. But he was he actually admitted that he was like, yeah, we need him to shoot.
3: He's Doc can be a little inconsistent on uh, whether he wants players to take more or not uh, threes. And look, what you bring up about gravity is a good point. And that's part of why when people are like, ah, oh, well, we need to lower sets minutes or 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 cut back on his role. It's like, yeah, but his gravity is really important with Embiid. And that's still true. That's true even if he's not taking all of his open threes. But guess what? His gravity would be even more if defenses were scared of him pulling the trigger more often. And also, and this is what I'm going back to, you're not maximizing your expected value because you're just not going to get a shot that's that good again in the possession. And those are the ones that really drive me, uh, drive me a little bit batty, but it's also, I don't think it's likely him. He's certainly not going to change between now and the end of the season. But even just as a player, um, you know, I think we we spoke about this with uh, Tim Cato coming into the season, that he's just, he's not super comfortable being a high volume three point shooter. So
0: He should. So that's one
3: God, thing. if I could shoot like that, man, I'd be, oh, you couldn't get me to stop shooting. You could not get me to stop shooting.
0: Well, honestly, too. And I, I get excited when he takes kind of a bad one. He, yeah. uh, he took one in the early, early possession of last night's game where he got Sabonis switched onto him and he took. A step back in the right corner. I think some people probably would watch that and think like, "Ugh, bad shot or whatever." I was fired up. I was like, "That is good. He's hunting threes. That's that's what they need from him night. And when they don't have Embiid, you know, obviously you want them to to feel the game. You don't want them to be forcing things too much. But man, like if he plays thirty minutes in a game without uh, Embiid, I, I want him taking like eight, nine threes in that yeah. game. Plus, like you're playing with Ben Simmons, who's going to try and feed you for threes as well. Like that—that that is what he prefers to do. I don't know. That's annoying. But again, wasn't just Seth who was bad. Wasn't just Tobias who was bad. Uh, Danny Green was horrible yep. in that game. He—he uh, he just looked tired. He—I uh, I think we have found that the one area where he—I would say even more than the elite guard, like like that, the elite guard lighting you up okay, that's just a very good player. Like, that can happen to a lot of guys. Danny Green trying to chase Doug McDermott around those screens was, woo man, he looked like he was in cement trying (laughs) to. And, like, look, Doug McDermott's probably a little bit of an underrated player. He's turned into a better driver as he is.
3: Certainly uh, in Philly because of the whole drafting, yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, No, they still should have taken Dario over. Oh, 100%.
3: Yep. Yeah. And especially when you factor in the trade and all. Anyway, we don't need to relitigate. But that that was the last podcast. We don't need to do that again in this one.
0: Yeah. Uh, but underrated mover, you know, he's he's certainly somebody you have to pay attention to off the ball. Not Danny's finest performance and he also missed his open threes, but you know, that's okay. That's that's going to happen from time to time. Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah. All right. So taking a step back uh, because don't want to make too much of a game uh, or a big deal of that game. Yeah. Um, it was just one night. Like I said, Indy actually had something to play for. And Sixers were missing the one person that really makes them dangerous. So let's take a step back and look at where they stand in terms of the Eastern Conference. They still have a uh, two game lead over the Nets with three games left. But since the Sixers have that tiebreaker uh, because they w- took two out of three in that season series, that means that they one game is still the magic number. Any one Sixers win or one Nets loss and they will finish ahead of the Nets. The Bucs are three games back with three games left to play. But the Bucs do own the tiebreaker. So they're still technically in contention. So any one Sixers win or one Milwaukee loss and the Sixers have the, uh, the Sixers will finish ahead of the Bucs. So the Sixers have three games left. They have Thursday night in Miami and then Friday and Sunday against the magic at the Wells Fargo center. Uh, and I will say Wells Fargo center because the team doesn't want you to. Uh, so that is how they will finish out that season. Uh, obviously there is that back to back that travel back to back from Miami did to they,
0: Orlando. Did they put, put out the center by the way, in the, uh, in the announcement about the ten thousand fans being allowed. At oh, the, I'm
3: sure. Uh, I haven't I didn't read it because uh, why? But I'm um, I, I don't think if you search Wells Fargo Center from the Sixers PR, I don't think you will see anything from the last what four years. It's one of the most amazingly petty things I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like it. Anyway, don't need to go on to that rant. Don't
0: make don't make you defend Wells Fargo. That that no, I don't like passion. of integrity. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, that is how they will uh finish it out. You have, um, and they're still like 90, I don't know the percent, but 98% chance of getting the one seed. Like they're not, they better not, especially with the Magic uh, closing it out. The Magic, who are 21 and 48 on the season uh, and have lost, I think something like 11 of the last 14 games or something like that. Like they're not a good team. Taking one out of two from Orlando should be a slam dunk almost regardless of who is healthy and available for those games. In terms of the injury status, uh, you had Joel Embiid, who missed the game with a uh, non-COVID-related illness. Furkan Korkmaz, who has that right ankle sprain. Shake Milton, who was a very late scratch with right knee swelling. And then Matisse Theibel, who injured his hand and has soreness in his hand. It doesn't seem like any of those should be playoff-threatening. You know, I think you were mentioning uh, Korkmaz practiced earlier in the week, so it seems like he should be relatively... Korkmaz is when he sprained that ankle, probably looked the most serious. Uh, that was the one that concerned me when it happened because ankles can be tricky, uh, but it looks like he is working his way back. Shake Milton was a, a surprise. Um, I didn't see that one coming. He wasn't on the, uh, you, you know, Doc mentioned who was going to be out before the game, and he didn't mention Milton. So we'll get more information on that. And Feibel with the hand, I think, has a lot of people really worried, but I'm not sure if that is going to be played. I, I, I think he should be. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. So that's sort of like the recap of that. Um, what do you what are you looking for here in the last? I guess well, let's assume that they clinch this. If not against Miami, then certainly in that first game back against Orlando. Let's say, here. Let's throw out a hypothetical. Let's say they lose in Miami. You have a back to back against Orlando. How do you handle that rest situation going forward with, with that back to back and that three games in four nights? Do so you do you play everyone against um, Orlando on Friday? to try to clinch that one seed or do you rest anyone?
0: Yeah, that's the tricky thing because so so Miami to me is the most valuable win to get here. Because look like, look, we we did our rankings of potential playoff opponents. Miami has moved into a three way tie, I believe, for the uh for the four seed. So if you if you can knock them down to six, I think that has some value. Miami was the team we settled on that we would least want to play. I think Especially when we were talking about Boston at that time, uh, they certainly have moved down a notch yep. or two now that Jalen Brown is out for the the rest of the season. I and think- they're
3: they're three games back of that that trio you mentioned. Hawks, Knicks uh, heat three way tie for the fourth, fifth, and sixth seed at thirty eight and thirty one. Boston is three behind that. So yeah, if you can you know uh, avoid you know you one seed plays winner of four or five, you can avoid that Miami matchup. That would be beneficial for sure.
0: Could definitely see Boston in the first round, by the way. Could, could see them in the first round. They could miss the playoffs. I, I could easily see them lose two games with how up and down they have been. They just lost two games at home to the Heat again without Jalen Brown. Um, and they just couldn't guard him. So yeah, I, I would try pretty, it, it's, it's tough because you want to try pretty hard in this Heat game, in my opinion. Like I, I think there is value in banishing Miami to the other end of the bracket. Like that would be, from a sixer standpoint, it would be a lot of fun to play against Indiana, Washington, Charlotte, Boston while watching Milwaukee play Miami in the first round. Right. One of, the, one of those teams is going on. But here's the thing. If you play that game, I, I think if you're going to play hard in that game, you, to me, you have to be prepared to play yeah. hard against the Magic the next night too. Yeah. I, I don't like that. It's a back-to-back. It's the last back-to-back of this godforsaken season. Can
3: you imagine though if they do rest like let's say Embiid in that back-to-back and then you come into that Orlando as a must-win for the one seed? Now look. So again, Orlando a must-win, You should you should win that game 95 times out of 100. Yeah. But those 5 times do happen. Like teams have off nights, ball, you know, shots don't go in from the perimeter. Uh yeah, that would be um surprisingly nerve-wracking.
0: I'll be interested to see how they handle it because Like, to me, the best way to go with Embiid for these last two games is he plays in one of Miami and Orlando, and then he plays Orlando on Sunday, just because, like, I don't think you want to rest him for both of those games. You want him to keep his relative rhythm, but you also don't want to have to play him back-to-back either. Like, that just seems unnecessary at this point. Yeah, I mean, it would be... Kind of ballsy to to not play beat in that second game if you do in fact lose in Miami, which seems very possible. You could play a pretty good game and still lose to them in my opinion. Um, I don't know man. It's just you should beat Orlando kind of regardless of who you put on the floor, but you know I, m- maybe it's recency bias, maybe it's just that I saw that second half of last night's game. look Orlando stinks and they're trying to lose, but uh. Anyway, it'll get done one way or another, but yeah, how they handle it is, I, I thought it was interesting that like MB played the second half of the back-to-back on, uh, on Saturday, Simmons did not. And then they kind of reversed roles, uh, for the, for the Indiana game and he doesn't travel. So I, I guess that's one long way of doing the, the shrug emoji, but you know, we'll see.
3: Sorry. I had myself muted. Um, really what you're hoping is that, uh, Nice catch. Nice catch. Really what you're hoping is that they take care of business in Miami. You don't have to worry about any of this uh, because you look at Brooklyn and Brooklyn just got here. They're scheduled to get James Harden back after a month and a half absence and the uh, lineup they have or the the schedule they have left Spurs Bulls Cavs all in Brooklyn all at home. So you don't expect them to lose a game or at least you can't count on them to lose a game. Milwaukee has a mildly tougher schedule. They play at Indy on Thursday then against Miami in uh, Milwaukee on Saturday, then it could be a lay down game, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and then add Chicago to close it out on Sunday. So they have a mildly tougher schedule, but even so they could run that table too. You don't want to count on any of those teams losing a game. You do need to win one. And again, two against Orlando. If you don't win one of those two, you don't deserve the one seed. Uh, you should a team of the quality of the Sixers should be able to take care of that. It's just you know, do you want to risk that by giving Embiid rest? Probably. I if if you drop Miami, come out, let Joel play twenty minutes, see That's how much they're blowing the door yeah. off of them. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't end up being a full workload kind of game. But yeah, it would be a it would be a little, uh, little, little dicey to say, ah, hey, Joe, just sit it out. We're we'll, we're confident we will win that final game. You, they probably will, but it would be very risky.
0: I, I don't love the idea of playing them a back to back, but I also think it's a little easier when the the break of the the play in tournament is following yeah. the Sixers like he's going to be off for a week after this and, yeah.
3: and you I know, think for, I, the, for the one seed it might like I think everyone gets like 5 days but everyone not in the play in tournament gets 5 days. I think the one seed might legitimately be like a 7-day break
0: in between. Yeah. yeah. So that that is how I would go about it. I mean, look, if the Sixers want to make another alternate jersey, they have made many over their uh over their years. If they came out with a Knicks Hawks uh, alternate jersey, as as in the first round series, like for Miami, maybe they play against the vice uniforms against the Sixers, Knicks Hawks four five alternates. That is what they're playing for, and yeah. I don't know. It's it's a good position for them to be in, you know. Is uh, it, I, you know, I, I want to be fairly positive here to to be able to kind of be the puppet master and and control who is playing in the. Uh, in the first round below you is, is a good, good feeling. But yeah, I, all things being equal, like I, I would try and, uh, avoid Milwaukee or, uh, Miami in the first round, if you could do that.
3: Yeah. All right. I think that is a pretty good wait, place. Wait, 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 wait. Nope,
0: wait. Nope, Can, nope. we got to talk about Mike Scott first. Oh yeah. A little bit. Cause I, people were going to, there were probably people during the, the Pacers part where they were saying, how are you not talking about them playing Mike Scott in the, uh, in that game. Look, I'm with you. I, I, I don't think Mike Scott is an NBA player even at this point. I'm not sure he's going to be on a roster next season. Derek, what is he shooting
3: from the field right now? 36, I think it was. 36%. Not from three, from the field.
0: Yeah. He's and at least
3: you have subpar defense to make up for that. Yeah.
0: He's shooting 36%, uh, 34% from three. He never gets a line, of course. That is a sub 50 true shooting percentage. Look, when this guy was playable for this team, all he did
3: was shoot threes. He's only I remember- 32, too. It's surprising how quickly he's fallen off.
0: Oh, he's down to 32 now. Okay.
3: No, no, oh. 30, oh, he is. 30 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his age. Like, it's not like he's like 36 and should be completely washed. He's just, he can't do anything right now.
0: Look, and. We have not talked about him quite as much. You know, he did get some minutes in that Pelicans game, which angered some people when Doc said that he wanted to play against a, you know, he wanted to match the Pelican size. To me, that was less defensible than what he did in last night's game because at least he had a center on the floor for that yeah. game. Like, if you have Dwight, then just play Maxi then uh, yeah. because you already have a center available and you have Joel playing his normal minutes as well. Look, the Sixers have a problem where when Embiid is out, they need 24 or so minutes because Dwight is not a 30 minute per game player at right. this point. Like even when he is playing well in the playoffs, you're going to look for him to play, I don't know, 10 to 15 pretty hard minutes and, and get out of there, man. Like throw some people around, you know, crush some skulls, do all that stuff, fire the crowd up. um so, but in the regular season, even you know you're you're not going to play him 30 minutes per game. So you're you're going to have to find I don't know half a game of, of a center. They didn't, and this is what we have talked about for a long time. Not at the trade deadline, not in the buyout market. They they did not get a playable stretch five. And and what they have decided on is they're going to play Mike Scott. And by the way, I was a little bit surprised that starting lineup last night. I don't know when cleaning the glass refreshes, but I looked right after the game. They have been a positive as far as the season is gone. No shit. Now it's very minimal possessions. It's like 200 possessions. So not, not a ton, not something I would say is statistically significant, but certainly not, you know, if, if you're pointing to it from Doc Rivers' standpoint, like at least it hasn't killed them on the whole so far. Um, and I get the idea of like, Hey, look, Mike Scott's sp- should spread the floor. And, uh, and give Ben Simmons that runway but he doesn't do it anymore. So it it comes down to like if Dwight Howard is not playable in a certain matchup in a playoff series, I have no idea what this team is going to do. They might turn to Mike Scott and I I'll just say it right now like this is going to make all the all the people who are angry about Mike Scott happy. We will absolutely crush them if they play Mike Scott in the playoff series yeah. and but it doesn't go I, well. I don't it, that is an organizational failure if that happens.
3: I don't think they will. I think I he either. is the 11th man. Actually, really, I think he's probably the 12th man in the rotation right now, maybe 11th over maxi, depending on team need. But even then there's very few matchups. where I'd be like, yes, let's put Mike Scott on the floor. It's just, that's not a, a solution to anything right now. Um, but what
0: happens when Dwight
3: can't I think, play in a, Well, in I think, a, I think they're going to play him almost regardless. I think they're going to try to get 10 minutes per game out of Dwight. Um, almost regardless of matchups. And I don't, Like, I still think maybe find a way to go uber small with Simmons at the five, even though that hasn't been perfect, but it's better than freaking Mike Scott. Like, if you put Ben at the five and just go all wings and guards, like, I'd rather see that play out than this guy on the court. Uh, Yeah, no, if he if he sees a court, um, I'm going to uh, certainly bring it up. But also, like, I'm a little worried about Doc being rigid with white, regardless of matchup or opponent. We'll see. It's not a, and I, this is where I think Daryl gets certainly some blame. Like, this is not a perfect solution. And I look, Dwight has been tremendous, 100%. It's never really been about Dwight whether or not he's capable. It's just there are going to be, and I, Dwight, the matchup or Dwight's limitations, both offensively in terms of pairing him with Simmons, but also defensively, where there's just a lot more teams who are comfortable playing a five out in the playoffs. Dwight's deficiencies, I think, are going to be tougher to, um, work around in a playoff series than they were in an 82 or well, 72 game regular season where you're just trying to, you know, have consistent play every night. It'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting.
0: There are a lot of teams that consider themselves contenders, semi contenders, whatever that have legitimate holes on their roster and legitimate weaknesses. The Sixers, one of their weaknesses going into this is I, I don't like their, their rotation seems inflexible to yeah. me in some ways. And, uh, look, is that going to completely screw them in the playoffs? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe Dwight gives them a month and a half of inspired play. They work around it, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's not having that option is certainly something that I'm looking at going into the playoffs as like, if I'm another team, that's something I'm looking to exploit.
3: For sure. For sure. All right. Are you done? If I, if I huh. say thanks for John, like, do you have another rant in you that you want to just before I close the pod? No. I, I uh, mean, you're, you're right. Like it was a good rant. I'm just. Thanks. Uh, no, yeah, that was a good app. I, uh, we got some TV talk in, uh, you know, that's good. I still, I still can't believe that. Anyway, thank you, Rich, for jumping on. Spend some time between now and the next podcast, getting caught up on Breaking Bad, which has been off the air for six years now. Uh, and have a good mm-hmm. one. See you, man.